Well, good evening to you and welcome again. So thankful that each and every one of you are here tonight for our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm excited for what the Lord has for us this evening. And I hope and pray that you have come with expectation tonight, believing that God is able um, to speak to us exactly um, what we need to hear. And that's what I've come for. I want to hear from heaven. Amen. I want to, um, we, we've already been in the presence of God. Thank you, brother, for that powerful worship. Um, you do a great job of leading us into the presence of God uh, through worship. And so um, it's a joy to be in the house of the Lord. I just want to testify to you just a minute before I go on with our uh, with the message that I have for you tonight. I'll just tell you how good God is and how he works in his people's lives daily. And um, we can always see him at work if we're willing to open our eyes and look. We really, we really can each and every day. I believe that God gives his people divine appointments daily. How about you? If you believe that, say amen to that. Amen. Yeah, he puts us in the path that we need to be in around the people that we need to be around so that we might accomplish his will and purpose. And it's amazing how the Lord does that from time to time and um, just blesses my soul when I see it happen. Uh, about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I received what I thought was a great blessing. Now, how many of you have ever um, got something you thought was a blessing but turned out to be a curse? That's kind of what's happened for me, man. You thought you were getting a, a great blessing, and it turned out to be a big old headache. And that's really what's happened with me at my workplace. About a month and a half ago, I got a brand-new truck. And um, for, for at that time, I thought, man, that is great because I needed a new truck. I'd had the one uh, previously that, I, that we had been working out of for about eight years. And so it was just wore out, man. Everything on it was wore out. And uh, so they ordered us a truck, and, and I got mine. I guess it's been about a month and a half to go after waiting for about a year and a half after we ordered it. And so I was ready for one. And, um, man, when I got it, I was tickled to death. It had everything you could imagine on it. We paid $275,000 for this truck. I mean, it's got all the bells and whistles. It's nice. It's really nice. And um, so I was working out of that thing for about two weeks, enjoying it, you know, um, makes my job a whole lot easier if you've got something to work with. And, and so uh, it was going good for about two weeks. But about the end of the second week, that thing left me on the side of the road. It broke down on me. And, um, and so we took it back up to Huntsville to uh, Southland International and, um, and let them work on it. It was still under warranty. didn't have but about 8,000 miles on it. And so they, they kept it for about a week. And we thought they had fixed that thing. They told us to come back and get it. So we went back and got it. And so I took it for about another week, week and a half. And then last, um, let's see, last Friday, it left me on the side of the road again. And so uh, we had to take it back to Huntsville. And we get it back up there. And then this morning, they call us and tell us that it's ready uh, to go again. And so um, I went back this morning to pick it up. And so I went all the way to Huntsville, got the truck, took one up there to get worked on, got, got mine that it was supposed to be fixed, and headed back. Now, if you know where Southland International is in Huntsville, it's on 565, right there outside of Madison. And so I left from there in Madison, went back across the river bridge, went into Decatur, and turned right on Highway 24 going toward Moulton. And I went about a mile, and it left me on the side of the road again. And, uh, and so I called them back, said, told my boss, man, you ain't going to believe this, uh, but this truck has is, is broke down again. He said, well, just sit tight. 
we'll send a record at wrecker after the truck and I'm going to send someone to pick you up. And so for two and a half hours, I sat on the side of the road in, on Highway 24 in Decatur, all by myself, pouring down rain. Couldn't leave the truck running because there's a buzzer going off um, and, and you couldn't stand to be in the cab with it. And you talking about a long day. I mean, I had a lot of time to pray and talk to the Lord for sure um, sitting there in that truck. But it was a long day. It was um, one of those days that felt like six months to get it to the end of it. That Y'all ever had those days? And I was thinking the whole time, man, this what I thought was a blessing has turned out to be a curse. And so the man came to pick me up about, I guess, two, two and a half hours later. And uh, he was a new guy. He had just started with us about two months ago. And I got in the truck with him, and we headed off down the road. And it's amazing how the Lord works. It's amazing how God opens doors um, daily. He really does. And so we're riding down the road, and he just starts talking about certain things that are happening in his life, and, um, things that he's struggling with, and problems in his family. And the Lord just opened the door for me to share my faith and tell this man what Jesus has done for me. Do you think that's by accident that all of that took place? I don't either. I'm going to tell you, we got back to about Russell. We was having church in that truck uh, going down the road. The Holy Spirit of God met with us. Right there in that, in that truck, just me and him. And I love that. And it reminded me of a scripture. In Romans chapter number 8, in verse 28, the Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and to them who are called according to his purpose. If you believe it, say amen. amen. All things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. Not some things not most things, but all things. All things. Things that we perceive to be good and things that we perceive to be bad. God is at work in all these things to bring about our good for his purpose. That's amazing to me. How does God do it? I don't know why he does it. It's, it's too big for me to understand. His ways are certainly much higher than my ways. I wouldn't do things a lot of times like he does them. But guess what? I don't know the outcome. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what's going to happen months and days and years down the road. And nobody else does. But the God who has the whole picture, who knows what's in our past, what's going on in our present, and what will happen in our future, the God who is omniscient and knows all things about everybody, the God who is omnipotent and has all power to change all things. Listen, that God is in control and at work in the lives of believers to accomplish His goodwill and purpose. And that amazes me every time I think about it. So praise God for His mercy. Praise God for His power. Praise God that he is able, like Brother Johnny Hunt says, to hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. God can do it. He can take the headaches and what we think to sometimes be a curse and make a blessing out of them. All we got to do is trust him. And uh, he's good to us, folks, I'm telling you. Now, last week, if you remember, I preached to you a message on the signs and the seasons of the rapture. The signs and the seasons of the rapture of the church. And tonight, I want to um, talk to you a little bit more about that. But before I do, I am going to review a little bit of what we talked about last week. And then we'll move just a little bit further. But now, before I go into this again, let me again give you my disclaimer. I want you to know that what I'm about to share with you tonight is not in any way, shape, form, or fashion me trying to set a date for the coming of Jesus. I want you to understand that. 
And, and there's a reason that I say that. First of all, the Bible tells us, like we read last week in Acts 1-7, Jesus says that time is what the Father knows. And that's really none of our business. Amen? That's the Father's business. It's our business to go out, like he said in Acts 1-8, and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. Really what Jesus said to his early disciples and to us is that you let him take care of the second coming. What we need to be doing is getting enough, uh, as much, many people ready as we possibly can by the preaching of the gospel to go back to heaven with him. Can you say amen to that? And so let's let God take care of his business and we need to take care of our, our business that by the power of God we be witnesses of the gospel to a lost and dying world. So I'm not trying to set a date. There have been many people throughout history that have tried to set the date of the coming of Christ. About 200 that I know of have been recorded and I want to get, talk to you about just a few of those tonight. I thought they were really pretty comical when you think about all the things that these people said. In AD 44 a man by the name of Thutius declared himself the Messiah and he took 400 people with him into the desert. Not long after that he was beheaded by Roman soldiers according to the um, historian Josephus. So we know uh, that Thutius was certainly not the Messiah um, and he was a false prophet. In AD 53 the Apostle Paul actually wrote a letter to the church at Thessalonica We've actually studied it. We call it 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he um, wrote to them, teaching them concerning the rapture. Now, why did he have to do that? Because they had received some false information. That church was believing someone had told them that the rapture had already took place and they had missed it. And the Apostle Paul encourages them and he encourages us in letting us know that if you're a believer, you cannot miss the rapture. Can you say amen to that? And so I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm thankful that he wrote the letter. And there's another instance of God taking um, a, a crooked stick and hitting a straight lick. He used this misinformation that was happening in um, that church in Thessalonica to let us all know the truth concerning the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. And so uh, the Apostle Paul dealt with it in his day. In the year 1186, there was a, let, uh, a letter of Toledo that was written by the early church fathers and warned everyone to hide in hills and caves because the earth would soon be destroyed. And again, they were wrong. Now listen to this one. This one right here really blew me away. In 1809, a woman by the name of Mary Bateman, who specialized in fortune telling, had a magic chicken who laid eggs with messages on them. And one of the messages that, were, uh, that was on one of the chicken or the hen's eggs was that Christ was coming soon. Okay? Now, she was found to be a fraud when an unannounced visitor caught her forcing um, an egg back into where it came from in her hen. She was later hanged because she poisoned someone with a magic potion uh, that she herself had created. In 1914, Charles Miller, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, predicted the return of Christ. Now I want you to think about this. This is just one of eight times the Jehovah's Witnesses has failed in their predictions concerning the rapture. They've tried it eight times and they've missed all eight. Now folks, I want to tell you, the true test of a prophet is whether or not his prophecy comes true. The Bible tells us that. If the prophecy of a prophet doesn't come true, then we are to label that person a false prophet. Just food for thought. May the 21st, or excuse me, in 1988, some of you may remember this, there was a book written, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 88. It's a very popular book. 
It was read by thousands of people. A lot of churches were fooled by that. It was supposed to happen between September the 11th and September the 13th, but we know even though it was a very successful book, it was not a successful prophecy. There are a lot of wrong people that have predicted the rapture of the church. The latest one happened, uh, I, I remember this one, in May the 21st of 2011, a man by the name of Harold Camping predicted that the world would end on that day. Uh, this was his second prediction. His first one came in 1994. We know it to have been wrong. But this man owns 55 radio stations and over 6,000 billboards, and he used them all for May the 21st, 2011, saying that Jesus would come again. There's a lot of false information out there about the rapture of the church. And in no way, shape, form, or fashion am I trying to give you a date. But let me tell you what I am trying to do. I do believe that Scripture teaches God gives us signs as to what He's up to. Jesus Himself said that in Matthew 24. We've looked a whole lot at Matthew 24 since we've been studying the book of Revelation. We see all throughout Scripture the Lord using signs that He has written down in His Word by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, written down by men, that, that, that tell us what we are to look to and look for. And so I think we, we, we would be foolish not to look for these signs. If you believe that, say amen tonight. Now, I gave you two of them last week, and we're going to go just a little bit further in that tonight. First of all, we talked about the movement of nations last week, and I believe we are uh, coming close to the time when the church will be raptured because nations are being moved by the sovereign hand of God into position so that God might fulfill His prophecy according to His Scripture. We see that all over the world today. Now, how is that possible? Well, if you remember, we said Psalm 22 and 8 tells us that the kingdom is the Lord's. He is the governor of nations. He's the one who controls nations. Which nations? Well, all nations. Not some nations, not most nations, not just the nations who recognize him um, as God, who believe in him, but all nations he's in control of. And I, like I told you last week, folks, whether someone individually or some people collectively as a nation choose to reject what God has said, that does not change whether or not it's true. You can choose not to believe it, but you choose not to believe it. You need to understand there are consequences to your choice. Whether we believe it or not, it's truth. God is in control of all nations. Psalms 47 and 8 says that he reigns even over the heathen. Even those who have rejected him, he's in complete control. Acts 17, 26, the Bible tells us that God appointed the boundaries for each nation in this world. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Cyrus, the king of Persia, was given by God a mandate to allow the children of Israel to go back and build the temple. Now this was a pagan king who was given up his slave labor. And not only did he give up his slave labor, but he also commanded uh, all the peoples throughout his kingdom to give soul, silver, and gold to the Jewish people so that they might go back and build the temple of the Lord. This was an unbeliever. How is it possible that he would do that? Because God is in control of nations, and he's in control of leaders. 
He is sovereign. He has complete control throughout the universe. Now, what does that mean for us today? Well, we talked last week about Iran and Russia and the partnership they have uh, that's been going on for quite a long time now. Iran and Russia, I believe, are two nations that are being moved by God into place so that his prophecy might be fulfilled. If you remember the prophecy that we read concerning Gog last week and how that we said Gog we knew to be Russia, uh, the modern day Russia, um, that God would actually take and put a hook in their mouth and pull them into the battle that will be coming against Israel. And we see all of that taking place um, right now. All the stage is being set. So the movement of nations, I believe, um, is evidence, is a sign of the soon coming rapture. Not only did we talk about movement of the nations, but we also talked about signs in the heavens. Now, we can look for signs in the heavens to show us what God is up to, for he has used signs in the heavens in the past. If you remember, when the wise men came seeking Jesus, what were they following? They were following the Christmas star, the star in the east, uh, that was to mark the place where Jesus would be born. So at Jesus' first coming to this earth, um, there was a sign in the heaven. And I believe through signs in the heaven, God is giving us um, information concerning the second coming. Now, let me prove that to you according to Scripture. Look with me in the Bible to Genesis chapter 1 again tonight. And I want to read to you what it says there in verse number 14. Genesis chapter 1 Verse number 14, the Bible says, and God said, if you believe God spoke all of creation into existence, say amen. amen. If you believe God stood on nothing and created everything, say amen. amen. If you believe that we serve tonight the star-breathing God whose heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool, say amen. God said it, and it happened. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So the lights that divide the day from the night we know to be the sun and the moon. And the Bible says in this 14th verse that they are there for four reasons. First of all, he said they're there for days and for years. And we know that. Uh, they are certainly there for days and for years. And let, let me go back and correct something that I said last week while we're here, okay? I think I told you last week that um, one uh, trip around, one revolution around the sun equals one day for this earth. And that 365 revolutions around the sun equals one year. I told you that, but I was wrong. Many of you know probably uh, Larry Jean Davis. Do you all remember Coach Davis? I love Coach Davis. He was my seventh grade uh, science teacher. Now, Coach Davis taught me well in the seventh grade what I, what I needed to know concerning the rotation of the earth and the revolution of the earth around the sun. He taught me right, but I said it wrong last week, okay? Um, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Coach Davis might have rolled over in his grave last Wednesday night. But um, I do want to correct that. Listen to me. What I need to say is that one rotation of the earth on its axis gives us one day, and one revolution around the sun gives us one year, okay? But now, either way, what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make is that the sun and the moon certainly does have a lot to do with the days and the years 
that we have. So um, he says they're for days and for years, but what else are they for? He says something else. He says for signs and for seasons. Now we're talking about signs, and later we're going to talk about seasons. So remember that word seasons. But let's look at the signs first off. Go with me, if you will, to Job chapter 3. Job, or excuse me, Joel chapter 3. And look down, please. Let me get the right scripture. Excuse me. Joel chapter 2. And look down at verse number 31. Let's just start with verse 30. Joel 2, verse 30. The prophet says this, And I will show wonders in the heavens... And in the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke, verse 31, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now last week we talked about whether or not this was a literal, uh, this should be uh, literally taken what God says here or is it symbolic of something else. Now I believe, um, again, we need to find out what's literal in the word of God and what's symbolic and when we find out what's symbolic, we are to literally believe it. Now, I don't think with uh, anything in me that God is actually saying he's going to turn the moon into blood. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. But I do think he is saying um, that this is, this is symbolically speaking of what we know to be a lunar eclipse. A lunar eclipse happens when the earth passes between the sun and the moon and rays from the sun pass around the earth and reflect to the moon turning in a deep red color. Now we know that to be what many have called the blood moons. All right, And so in Joel chapter number 2 in verse number 31 when it says the moon will be turned to blood, I think he's talking about uh, what we know today to be a lunar eclipse. Now then, what is the teaching of the blood moons? The blood moon teaching is this. When you have four blood moons that happen consecutively on feast days of the Jewish calendar, um, that something very significant is going to happen for the Jewish people. Now, how many times has that happened? I think we need to talk about that. First of all, uh, a lunar eclipse of the, uh, is, happens um, several times, about twice a year it'll happen. A tetrad, which is four consecutive blood moons, that happens pretty frequent as well. From 1 A.D. to 2013 A.D., there have been 55 tetrads. Now then, when a tetrad matches the four, four feast days consecutively of the Jewish calendar, that's what we really want to look to. That has happened um, about 10 times since from 1 A.D. to 2013 A.D. Now then. It's happened only seven times after 1492. And I want you to understand, folks, it happened seven times before 1492, excuse me, three times after 1492. Now, I want you to think about the three times it happened, and we talked about this last week, but I need to tell you this before we go any further. First of all, it happened from 1493 to 1494. It usually happens within an 18-month period. About six months apart is when these things will take place, these four consecutive blood moons. From 1493 to 1494 it happened, and we know in 1492 the Spanish Inquisition 
uh, which had a lot to do with the Jewish people, took place. Um, King Ferdinand of Spain had about 50,000 Jews killed uh, during the Spanish Inquisition. Many of them were burned at the stake uh, because the king of Spain didn't believe their conversion to Catholicism was real. It happened again in 1949 and 1950. Um, and we know in 1948 um, that the nation of Israel became, um, or Israel became a nation again after being um, in exile for about 1,800 years. In 1967 through 1968, you had another tetrad that happened on feast days, four blood moons that happened on feast days. And in 1967, the Six-Day War broke out. Um, the Egyptian, the Jordanian, and the Syrian armies came against Israel. Um, and in six days, by the power of God, Israel defeated all of them. The nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, uh, that was divided, was put back together during the Six-Day War only by the power of God. And like I told you last, I want you to go back and read some on that. It'll strengthen your faith. Uh, Adrian Rogers said, as the Jew goes, so goes the world. God is still working greatly with the Jewish people and always will because he keeps his promises. Can you say amen? And in 1967, he was certainly working with the Jewish people. He used bees, honeybees, to win the war against tanks and machine guns. How? Because God is able. Why? Because God keeps his promises. Go back and look for yourself. Don't take my word for it. But all three of these very significant things happened to the Jewish nation on the last three blood moons. Now, that was from A.D. 1 to 2013 A.D. In April 2014 through September 2015, we had four more blood moons that happened on feast days. Now, folks, I am not saying that, um, you know, Jesus is coming back next week. But if we look at history and we see that three major events concerning the Jewish nation happened in close proximity um, to these four blood moons happening on feast days, if it happened in the past, could it happen in our day today? Well, I think so. Will it happen? I don't know. But I do think we need to take a look at it, seeing as God has said, He has given us signs um, in the heavens through the blood or through the moon and through the sun. And so that's what we're doing tonight. Now then, what is the next thing that is to happen on the prophetic calendar? We know it to be the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church will usher in seven years of tribulation, which has a lot to do with the Jewish people. How many of you know um, the seven years of tribulation that's going to happen upon this earth is really to set right what's been set wrong with the Jewish people? Now, we know that the whole world's going to um, be certainly uh, um, affected by what happens during the, the, the seven years of tribulation, but mainly it deals with the Jew. We've learned that as we've studied um, in the book of Revelation. So I think... God is pointing toward that. I can't tell you when. You say, brother, what if we go 10 more years and it don't happen? I'm still going to preach the gospel. What if it happens tomorrow? I'm still going to preach the gospel. Because the truth is, whether the Lord comes back tomorrow or in 10 years, my mission has not changed. And your mission has not changed. And guess what? 
whether the, the Lord comes back tomorrow and raptures his church or he does not, there's a lot of people who's going to meet Jesus tomorrow, not because of the rapture, but because of death. Your rapture could be tomorrow. My rapture could be tomorrow. And so as a believer, what I want to do as long as I can for as many people as I can is give them the truth of the gospel, give them the truth of the word of God so that I can take as many people with me to heaven as possible. That's our mission. That's our goal. But we are talking about revelation and prophecy, so I think we need to deal with what's happening today. How about you? All right. Now then. We talked a whole lot about the moon last week. We really just got started with the sun. See, Joel said in Joel 2.31 that he would also turn the sun to darkness. And we know, uh, when was it, three weeks ago now that um, we had the great American eclipse, the eclipse of the sun that went all the way across the United States of America. And again, let me make this very clear to you. Um, it's not really a rare occasion that eclipse, um, that it happens throughout the world because they happen a lot. But it is a rare occasion that every news channel on the face of the earth covered it from daylight till dawn um, from about a week before it happened and even after it happened. It's the most publicized eclipse I think the world um, has ever known about. And so I think it is significant. Now, it's significant not just because of why it happens. We saw why it happened according to Genesis 1.14. Flip back over there with me and let's look at that again. Genesis 1.14, what's he say? He says that he created the sun and the moon, that which divides the day from the night, and he created it for signs and for what else? For seasons. Now, the signs are the why. I think it's letting us know what God is up to. The seasons is the when. Now, what is the word for seasons here? When I found this this week, it absolutely blew me away. The Hebrew word here for season is the word moedim. The word moedim means the appointed time or feast days. How many of you understand that God has given to his uh, chosen people physically, the nation of Israel, he's given them feast days that they are to observe in worshiping him each and every year. There's seven of them. Seven major feast days that they are supposed to take part in. First of all, it's the Passover. There's four in the spring, and then there's three in the fall. Passover um, happens um, and is a representation of the salvation that we have received through Jesus. See, I want you to know something. The feasts are all going to be fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? He is a picture of what these feasts really mean. Now, how many of you understand that the Passover was instituted by God in Leviticus 23 and 5, but we see the truth of what happened in that first Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Let's turn over there and look just a minute. Exodus chapter 12. And look down. Let me get there. Exodus 
And look down with me, if you will, please, to um, verse number five. We know what's happened up to this point. If you're a student of Scripture, you know that um, God has called Moses to go back to Egypt and to lead his people out of the bondage of slavery. And when he sends Moses back, uh, Pharaoh will not let the people go. He don't want to turn loose his slave labor. Slave labor. And so the God begins sending um, a series of ten plagues, all right? And this being the last one. Now look what it says in Exodus 12, 5. The Bible says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it uh, out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. How many of you know, for deliverance to come from the slavery that they were in, the lamb had to die, all right? You had to kill the lamb. But then it says in verse 7, And they shall take the, of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat. So not only did the lamb have to be killed, but the blood had to be applied for salvation to come. Let's go on. Verse 8. And they shall eat it of the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. So not only did the lamb have to be killed and the blood have to be applied, but the people had to have the lamb in them. Can you say amen to that? Now let's go on. Verse 9. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that, that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. Verse 11. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Look at verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. I love this verse. Look at verse 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses wherein you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now then, what is this a perfect representation of for the child of God today? It's a perfect representation of our salvation. Jesus truly is the fulfillment of the Passover, for he is the lamb that was, that was killed. He is the lamb who shed his blood. Listen, his blood must be applied to our heart and life by faith. He must be in us. Listen, when we choose by faith to trust in Jesus, we know we are indwelled by his precious Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? Jesus lives in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so what we see here with the Passover is the Lord Jesus Christ. See, folks, I want you to know, it's the blood of the Lamb that delivered these people from slavery, and it's the blood of the Lamb that delivers us from our slavery, our slavery to sin. It's through Jesus we are set free. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So the Passover is a representation of the death of Christ. Then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread that is instituted in Leviticus 23 and 6. Now what does that symbolize for the church? It symbolizes for us a holy walk. Amen? How many know you are called to be holy just as your Father in heaven is holy according to the book of 1 Peter? Now, folks, I want you to know something. God is serious about that. Jesus said it like this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I say. That means we do what Jesus wants us to do, and we don't do what he says we shouldn't do. We live holy lives. See, in that day, the days of the unleavened bread, in that feast, they couldn't put any yeast 
in their bread. And for seven days, they had to eat flat bread. <laughs> because we know yeast causes bread to rise. And so the picture is this. He says, don't put any leaven or any yeast in your bread. Because when you put just a little bit of leaven into a big old lump and you start kneading that dough together, guess what happens? That little bit of yeast gets mixed in with all the bread and causes everything to rise. The picture is, when we let a little bit of sin infiltrate the body of believers, not only does it affect you, it affects the whole body. And so he says, leave out the leaven. Remember to walk holy. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread symbolizes a holy walk for the believer. The Feast of the First Fruits comes next, and it represents the Christian, uh, the, the, to a Christian the resurrection of Jesus. How many know Jesus is the first fruit, the firstborn among many brethren? That was fulfilled in Christ on that first Easter morning. Can you say amen to that? You know what the Apostle Paul said about the resurrection? He said if the resurrection does not happen, if it didn't take place, we are of all men most miserable. How many of you understand our victory is in the resurrection? Jesus is the fulfillment of the Feast of First Fruits. The fourth feast is the Feast of Pentecost. Now you know it happened 50 days after the Passover. And listen to me now. It was the birth of the church. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascended back to his heavenly Father before Pentecost so that the church might be filled with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So all the first four feasts have been fulfilled in Jesus. If you see that tonight, say amen. Now, why do I bring all that to your attention? Because we have three feasts that remain. Three feasts that I believe have yet to be fulfilled according to the new covenant through the Lord Jesus. We have the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets for the church represents the rapture. In that feast, we know that the priest would go out and blow the ram's horn. Amen? He would blow the trumpet. Now, we know when we studied the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and Revelation chapter number 4, that there is going to be a trumpet that will be blown to signal the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ calling His people unto Himself. We know that's going to take place. The sixth feast is the Feast of Atonement. Let me read to you something that... Um, David Jeremiah said about the Feast of Atonement, we owe no atonement as the body of Christ. The atonement really does not apply to us. Let me tell you why. Because we have been exonerated. We have been declared innocent because God's grace, the blood of Jesus has been applied to us. We have been forgiven. We owe no atonement. Now, what does the atonement represent? I believe it represents the great tribulation where God deals with the nation of Israel. Then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles represents the Lord's dwelling place in the world to come. What do we know is going to take place according to Scripture? 
We know the church is going to be raptured. There will be seven years of tribulation here upon this earth. After the seven years of tribulation, we know there's going to be a, the, the battle of Armageddon. After the battle of Armageddon, we know that the Lord is going to come and set up His earthly kingdom upon this earth and reign for a thousand years. And I believe that Feast of Tabernacle will be fulfilled in that time. Why do I tell you all this? Well, this year, you need to know that on God's calendar... These feasts are based on the phases of the moon. Each new moon will usher in a new month on the lunar calendar that begins with that moon. The Feast of Passover happens on April, happened on April the 11th and 12th, this past April 11th, 12th of 2017. The Feast of Unleavened, Unleavened Bread happened uh, April 12th through the 19th. The Feast of First Fruits happened April the 15th through the 16th. The Feast of Pentecost happened June the 3rd through the 4th. The Feast of Trumpets will happen September the 21st and September the 22nd. Now, to me, I think it's just like God to share with us the moon turning to darkness a month before the Feast of Trumpets. You say, brother, do you think God that Jesus is coming back in uh, in September? Maybe. I don't know. But I do know this: it seems to me that a lot of the signs are are lining up. It seems to me that a lot of the evidence is stacking up. God gives these different signs according to the seasons. September the 21st and 22nd is the Feast of Trumpets, which represents the rapture of the church. Does that make sense to you? Now, I'm not telling you, not giving you a date. I'm just saying, I believe we are getting close to the coming of Jesus. If I'm wrong, I'm okay with that. Again, it doesn't change my mission. I'm still going to preach the gospel. I'm still going to share with as many people as I can possibly share with, because guess what? Your rapture or my rapture may be tomorrow. Maybe in the next five minutes. So we need to be ready. Amen? The signs and seasons of the second coming. I believe he's coming soon. My advice to you, be ready. If you hadn't got ready, make yourself ready. How do you do that? Place your faith in Christ as Savior. Repent of your sins, turn to him. Trust in Jesus by faith. That's what you got to do. That's what I did and he changed my heart, changed my life, gave me a home in heaven. Folks, I want to tell you something. I've got peace tonight for living. I've got peace for dying. We live in an uncertain world. I serve a certain God, and I know my hope is in him. There's peace in that. You can have it as well. Now, if you are a believer, don't you think it's time, just like the Apostle Paul said, that we awaken out of our sleep because we know the day of the Lord is sooner than we first believed. It's time for us to wake up, be about the business that God has called us to. Any comments or questions?